I think AI is, uh, it's here now. It's being used way more than most people understand. You know, we're being watched, we're being tracked, but in a lot of ways, AI can help us get a lot of things done faster, more efficiently, more effectively. But I'm keeping my eye on that. Augmented reality types of glasses are also, you know, on their, on their way here. And I think we're going to see more creative uses of, of AR, not just in gaming and entertainment, but practical applications. You know, if it be a surgeon and to be able to see um, the surgery you're about to do and to do it in AR first so you know exactly, you know, where the problem is and how you're going to fix it. I think that's powerful for saving lives. We stand today. The business method the business with method. the shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Hello, listeners. Do you ever wonder if the internet is spying on you? Are you ever curious if that little camera in your computer screen is filming you on a regular basis? What about when you Google search something literally seconds later on a completely different platform? Sponsored ads come up for that thing you Google search for. Or even maybe you're having a conversation with a friend and then you're scrolling through Facebook and see an ad or a Facebook group pop up for a relevant topic regarding that conversation you had. These are things that are happening in our world on a regular basis all the time. And the big platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube all say that it's sophisticated algorithms and AI that's helping predict actually your actions based on data that you have stored within their platforms. Is it or is it not? That's the big question. Today's guest, actually, we talk a lot about this. I didn't bring him on the show to talk about this, but he, <laughs> we went down that rabbit hole. His name's Joel Com, and Joel is one of the original OGs in the internet world. Literally, one of his uh, websites was the first 18,000th website in the world. This was back in 1995, years ago, and Joel was actually dabbling in internet since the 1980s, believe it or not. He's built uh, one of the top best-selling iPhone apps in the world called iFart, and it's still out in life today. And he also created ClassicGames.com, which in 98, 1998, got sold to Yahoo and became Yahoo Games. So if you ever played Yahoo Games, that was originally Joel's 
concept and idea. He now runs the Bad Crypto Podcast, heard in over 180 countries around the world with over 400,000 downloads per month. It's pretty amazing. You guys, it's a great show. And we touch on Joel's background a lot because it was really interesting learning about, you know, how he was getting started in the 80s and 90s on the internet and creating the first website. Some of the easiest money that he has ever made, both through the iFart app, after doing a, a month or so of work selling off to Yahoo for seven figures. And uh, we talk about successes and failures, but what's really interesting is we dive into the rabbit hole with AI and AI influencing uh, political votes in the world today and what's happening and what's not happening with it. We talk about VR. We talk about all these really interesting that, but possibly dark things that are happening within our society via Facebook, Google, Chrome, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all the platforms out there that we're using, using on a regular basis. The amount of data that they're storing and they have on us can be scary. And uh, most of us don't know that it's actually influencing our buying decisions or purchasing decisions and even decision-making processes that can predict what we're going to choose or what we th- what they think we would choose beforehand. So you guys, fun episode, really cool guy. I enjoyed chatting with him. But first... I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, nomadx.com. I'm really glad to have these guys on board as our sponsors because not only are they friends, but they're providing a really amazing service for location independent entrepreneurs and digital nomads around the world that makes our lives so much easier. At NomadX, you can find apartments, bedrooms, or co-living spaces in Portugal to rent on a monthly basis. They are completely equipped for digital nomads and remote workers, 50% more affordable than Airbnb. But that's not all. NomadX, you guys, has an inclusive community of like-minded people, so you never feel lonely while traveling through the country and spending time in major cities. NomadX has so many events for guests and the local communities. They have weekly dinners, meetups, workshops, masterminds, ecstatic dance parties, yoga, meditation retreats, and so much more. Globally, you can find the NomadX Facebook group, a lifestyle community for digital nomads where you can get all the tips to help you on your journey. But that's not all. They're fully operating in Portugal and will soon be launching in Bali. Get all the details at nomadx.com. That is nomadx.com. And now let's jump back into today's podcast. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Hey listeners, I want to welcome you back to the show and our guest today has been building online business since 1995. He is an OG in the online internet business world. So tune in you guys, like I'm sure he's going to have plenty of value bombs telling about his history working with online businesses. His first website was amongst the first 18,000 sites in the world. So that's very impressive. I want to learn about that. And his efforts have brought experience in creating and selling websites like licensing content, affiliate marketing, internet marketing, blogging, podcasting, online video creation, social media marketing, joint ventures, mobile app creation and marketing, authoring books, public speaking, conducting live interviews, events, and more. Well, that eats up our hour. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Joel, Joel, our guest, you guys, has hosted and produced um, the world's first competitive 
internet reality show called The Next Internet Millionaire. He's also created one of the uh, number one best-selling iPhone apps in the world called iFart. He's always exploring new methods. And in 2017, Joel and his partner Travis Wright went down the rabbit hole of blockchain technology, creating the Bad Crypto Podcast which is very popular with over 400,000 downloads per month, which is pretty amazing. Our guest, you guys today, his name is Joel Com. Joel, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm one of his OG stand for overweight guy, because that's what I heard. When... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that would be me. Just had my physical last week, and doctor said you need to lose a few pounds. So Yeah, yeah. No, original gangster. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. Right. Hashtag, yeah. Uh, it, only true OGs don't know like the new acronyms that the millennials come up with, right? <laughs> like, well, it's good. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show. I actually heard you on the Millionaire Interviews uh, podcast with Austin Peak. He's mm -hmm. a, in my mastermind, and he yeah. said this this would be a good guy to have on. Yeah, your I show. remember Austin. I like him. Yeah, and uh, so I googled you and checked out all the details and listened to about a, a bit of his show, and and I was like, ah, oh, that'll be fun to have Joel on the show. But how are you? How's life? I'm good, man. I'm in Denver. Uh, I live in an apartment here, 23 floors up. I'm looking at the mountains now. It's a beautifully sunny day. I can see the mountains in the background there. And the, Yeah, well, that's, those might not be real mountains, uh, but the <laughs> ones that I'm looking at out the window are, and uh, I, I love it here. It's a great central location for me with all the, uh, the travels that I yeah. do. You know, you can get to either coast in a reasonable amount of time. Like, if I want to get to San Francisco. You think it would take two hours, but boop, nope, I'm there. It's just boom. It's, <laughs> it's almost instant. And and uh, if I want to go to the moon. That doesn't take any effort either. I, I, I think the, the I like the moon, the view at the moon the best. I think the view of the moon. I know I have that here somewhere. Let's. Uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> nope, that's Daddy Shark. That's that's not, <laughs> that's not the one. Uh, anyhow, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm good, man. I'm in between travels right now. And, um, it's kind of, you know, this is my home base because yeah, I'll be on the road for a week, sometimes two, sometimes three. And then I come back here and decompress and, you know, prepare for, uh, for my next jaunt out and, um, life is good. That sounds good, man. Um, do you, uh, well, there's a lot I want to talk about today and I'm going to try and get some questions that you aren't typically asked for you. But uh, for me, so like I was in high school in 1995. I didn't even have any, uh, an email account, I think, until maybe two, 98, 99, 2000 or something like that. I don't even remember. But you were, this is what I really like about you. You know, your, uh, I think your quote is that you just don't, you're a functional futurist, right? You don't see the future, you get there first. And uh, maybe we can dive into that because it seems like you've been doing it since the very beginning. How old were you in 95? Um, 95, I would have been 31 years old. I didn't okay. know there would be math, but yeah, 31. <laughs> uh, but I had been building, you know, I've been doing business. Um, I'd been an entrepreneur before that. And I had actually been in the online world from long before you were born, um, I'm guessing, because in 95, you're graduating high school. No, it would have been right. Actually, you would have been born. I would have been online when I had my first computer in 1980. Okay. That's about when I was born. Yeah. You were yeah. born in what, 81, 82? 80, 80, like yeah. 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 Um, so I bought a TRS-80 Model 1 with 4K of RAM, um, no hard drive, no um, floppy drive. It had a 
cassette player was your medium storage. And I had a coupler modem, you know, the kind that you would dial the phone and then you'd put it on the modem receiver and it would transfer data at 300 baud. Uh, you know, by the time you were dialing in, you were probably using 28,000, 28,800 baud, 28,800 modems is what we called them. But I was dialing in at 300 to bulletin board systems in 1980. So I have been in the online world now for 40 years. And oh if that my doesn't gosh. date somebody, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what does. Right. Uh, but you know, so I was using bulletin board services. And then before it became AOL, it was called America Online. Prodigy, CompuServe, Delphi, Genie, Sierra Online, all these different online services where you subscribe and download their software to your computer or get it on a floppy disk and install it on your computer and then you would access their various services. And I've just always been fascinated with, uh, with technology. And I took a computer science class in college and the last, the, the year that I took it was the last year that they had COBOL punch cards. That would have been like, 1978. And I remember thinking, I hate programming. Programming sucks. Um, and they got apples in my school in 1980. And um, I just totally geeked out on the Apple IIe at the beginning. But um, I've always used PCs and apples. And um, I, I got turned on to the World Wide Web in uh, the very beginning of 1995. And by summer of that year, I had my first website up. Wow. So it, did you, when you first knew about the internet and you knew that the computers, is this something that you knew that was going to change the world, revolutionize the world, and you were just naturally attracted to it? Or what was well, your... it wasn't that I knew it was going to revolutionize the world. I don't think that I, I put that conscious thought, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I've seen the future. I just kind of knew this was cool and I want to play with this. And that's really what it is. I mean, I, uh, when I talk about being a functional futurist, it's, I'm not one of those um, that just gets up there and says, well, in five years, we're going to be on flying bicycles. And in 20 years, you know, we're going to be porting from what I don't think like that. I look at what's available now and I go, Ooh, that's cool. I want to, I want to play with that toy. And then I go, oh, that's either something that I want to play with more or I don't. And if I do want to play with it more, then invariably I learned how to master it to some degree. And other people start asking me, how did you do that? And again and again and again, I've fallen into success by just being curious and taking risks on, on various things and finding out what works and what doesn't. So I, I don't know that I had the mindset um, at 16 years old or even when I built my first website, I just thought this is super cool. I think this is where things are going. Maybe I can make some money doing this. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Surely there's been some curious uh, things you were interested in that didn't turn out to be um, major successes. Do you know any oh, of those? Gosh, I've, I've tried so many things that didn't succeed. I've built like so many websites. And it's really funny because every now and then I'll pull, find an old hard drive and I'll pull up like HTML files from a website that I created 20 years ago. Like, oh my gosh, I remember that. You know, that was really hot for about three weeks. And, and then, you know, I've, I've had uh, built, sold, closed so many sites. I still own my first domain. It's called worldvillage.com. I registered it really? and opened it in July of uh, 1995. So it's going to be 25 this coming summer. 
they, wow. they grow up fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they grow up so fast and, uh, I still own it and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with it. Now it kind of got neglected along the way because I had other sites that were super successful. Some of uh, which I've sold most of those. And I don't really, you know, I have websites now, but more, my business is more podcasting now, you know, creating content, speaking, um, doing advisory deals or being a brand influencer. But I, you know, the list of things that I've tried that didn't work, um, it's a long list. Tell us, tell us one that's kind of humiliating. Oh, I don't know if any of them are humiliating because I look at or funny. Uh, or yeah, funny. there's a lot of them that are funny. I look at you know failure um, as just discovering a way to not do something. And when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to take risks and know that some, if not most, of what you do is not going to live up to the expectations of what you want it to be. Uh, one funny one. I think the site is still up actually is in, I want to say it was 1999 or 2000 when Budweiser had that, uh, what's up, that campaign. Remember those <laughs> yeah, commercials? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I remember that there was greeting card sites online that were really popular. And I thought, what if you could send somebody a virtual what's up? And I had an animator create, um, I don't know, probably about a dozen animations. I think uh, George W. Bush was president at the time it happened. So one of them was him. One of them was Hillary, Hillary Clinton. One of them was Ricky Martin. And <laughs> you would go to the site and you would send somebody a virtual weather. And um, it didn't go anywhere. I mean, even with the promotion I had for my successful sites behind it, it just it was a huge bomb. I put this, you know, money and effort and time into it. Not a lot, but it was just one of those little distractions. And I kept, I think I kept the domain. If you go to virtual dash was up, um, yeah, virtual dash W H A S S U P.com. It should still be there. I don't know if it functions anymore or not. Um, you probably need flash installed to see the animations, but, uh, you know, not humiliating, uh, at all. It's like you try stuff. And, um, and it didn't work. Then there's other times that I tried stuff that was like, do you remember the, um, the million dollar homepage where the guy sold a million pixels on the page and they would link to websites and it was a dollar a pixel and he sold out the whole thing for a million dollars. Really? Don't know if it's still there or not, but I was inspired by that. I thought, you know, what if there was a more practical page where people would buy keyword links. And I, this was back in the day when I had a site that was a page rank seven, a lot of Google juice as we called it. And I linked from my successful sites to a site called 500words.com. I know it's still there, 500words.com. And I sold 500 words and they sold out. Um, and I told people I would, I would never pull down the site as long as it was within my control and they would have these backlinks. And I made something like $70,000 oh from selling these links. Uh, yep. It is live still, by the way, you can go and see it 500 words.com, but that's not the punchline. The punchline is then some of my peers said, how did you build that site? Like what software? When we were talking 2007, I think. They're like, how did you build that? And I went to my developer. I said, can you package this, this thing that you created that, you know, is building these links? He said, yeah. So we called it Link Sizzler and we sold $75,000 worth of the software that creates these word sites to people. Um, <laughs> and several of them built their own sites. Most people like, you know, most products, they don't do anything, but the, some people built some sites and they sold links and they made some money. 
So you never plan that either, right? It was right. a total whim. Um, I just, I thought this is really interesting. I wonder, because people were paying for links on websites. They still do, but back you know, then they were still trying to figure out how to game the search engines because the algorithms, uh, you know, were, were easier to work with them. And um, so let's build this and I'll go to my audience and see if they want to buy a link for their site. And they just, they flooded to me. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is crazy. This is, this is insane. And then doubled down by selling the software for just as much. Uh, truth is, is weirder than fiction. Well, what's the easiest online money that you've made? Um, easiest online money. I would say the biggest bang for the least effort, uh, is a contest between my game site. Cause back in 1997, um, great question, by the way. Um, I, so I had some games on my site, worldvillage.com. They were like web games, pointing, you know, click type things very early. And okay. my webmaster said, hey, check out what this guy is doing. Uh, he is a uh, grad student at University of California, San Diego. And he had created the rudimentary foundations of one of the web's first multiplayer game rooms. It was all built in Java and um, he had a few friends, you know, kicking the tires on it. It was like table and card games, hearts, spades, bridge, backgammon, chess, checkers, those things. And he had three or four friends, you know, testing it. And I send him an email. I say, hey, this is really cool. What would you think of us partnering? I've got a website that's, you know, got a list and traction. I could drive some traffic. You keep programming and we partner on this and see what we do. And uh, he's, you know, said yes. And we called it classicgames.com. My job was basically to market it and, um, you know, get drive traffic to it, which wasn't hard because my World Village site had a, you know, back then there weren't a lot of websites and, and people actually opened email when you sent it to them. So I built an email list and would send people emails to, hey, go play games. They're free and, and drove thousands of members. I think at our peak, we had six or 700 people at one time playing, you know, these games. And one day I got a knock on my, uh, my door via email from Yahoo. And of course, you know, before there was a Google, there was Yahoo. And Yahoo was the number one site directory and search engine on the web. And um, they flew me out to California and I got to see, you know, Yahoo HQ and they were riding high and I won't disclose exact figures, but let's just say that it was a seven figure deal um, when they bought it and it became known as Yahoo Games. Uh, I, I would say if you were to count up the amount of hours that I put into that deal from the moment that I asked the guy to partner with me to the time we sold it, I would say you'd be hard pressed to say it was a month's worth of actual work. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that one, and, and then the, it would be tied with uh, the iFart app. Yeah, we had already produced one application for the iPhone. It was called iVote Mobile. It was basically a polling app. And it was one of the first thousand apps in the App Store. And that was because when I saw the iPhone, I was one of those that paid 600 bucks for it in the first couple of weeks because I'm like, this is this is the future. There's no question. And then a year later, Steve Jobs opened up, you know, to developers and said, 
build apps. And immediately we built an app and had it in there. But it wasn't until December of that year that um, the iFart app came out. And that just basically came from a team meeting uh, where we whiteboarded all kinds of ideas. I mean, we had, when I look back at it now, we basically whiteboarded the idea for Foursquare. We didn't develop that. We built a fart app instead. But we, we had whiteboarded all these ideas of what we would do. And this, you know, my team at that time was mostly men. And uh, we were just cracking up when somebody brought up the <laughs> idea of creating this digital fart machine. And I said, I turned to my developer. I said, how long would it take for you to code this? Because it's really simple, right? It's just a sound machine. Uh, he said, three weeks. I turned to my designer. I'm like, can you get some, uh, you know, cool graphics done? He said, yeah. Three weeks later, we had this app. And within 12, 10 days of release, we hit number one in the world, not just a category, wow. not just the U.S. The app went to number one in the world and uh, got me on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. It got me um, uh, mentioned <laughs> on The Today Show, on Bill Maher's show. It got us written about in Rolling Stone and New York Times. And um, To this day, 12 years later, it still sells every day. I mean, not the numbers we had then. I mean, it's crazy. We were making five figures a day for a time wow. um, in the app store. I think Christmas Day... Um, 2008, we made almost $40,000 selling iFart. Um, and to date it's, you know, it's made over a half a million, you know, all total. So, um, crazy, 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 very little effort to make a whole lot of money. What, what do you think, what's the biggest takeaway or lesson from that creating an app that's so simple, anybody would like to use, not anybody, but you know. Like a lot of people would a like to people. use it. A lot, of, a lot of kids and grown kids. Um, and grown kids. I mean, yeah. and you might say that, uh, you know, women wouldn't like it. But when I sometimes when I give a presentation over the years, I've pulled it, you know, out and I've demonstrated it. And the women laugh louder than anybody. And they're the ones <laughs> that after I'm done talking, want to come meet me, shake my hand, take a picture with me. And like, oh, my gosh, my husband has that or my son has that. I have to tell him I met you. <laughs> they won't believe it. I, it's just it's been a riot. Um but the, the, I think the takeaway um, is when you're an entrepreneur, you have to really follow your own curiosity and your creativity and be willing to see opportunity apart from what this main thing that you're working on, right? We get this tunnel vision of this is what I'm working on. And uh, bright, shiny objects can really set you back. But at the same time, when there's something you're like, I just got to try this. And try it. What's the worst thing that happens? It fails. I've built other apps. No other app has had the success. I probably built a dozen other apps um, and none of them had the success of, of iFart, even with the success of iFart. Uh, you know, it's like the, the podcast that I'm doing now with Travis Wright. You mentioned it earlier, the Bad Crypto Podcast. I've done since 2006, lots of different shows. Um, you know, probably five or six podcasts of my own with varying degrees of success. Some fell flat and bad crypto was a risk we took. Didn't think it would be as popular as it was, but here we are two and a half years in with over 8 million downloads and uh, we're known in the cryptocurrency and blockchain community. When we go to events, people want to meet us and take pictures and we couldn't have predicted that that would happen, but it's just, we wanted to do, we thought this would be fun. And it was interesting to us and we were engaged and we took action and, and made it happen. And um, I'm just, you know, I feel real fortunate when you, when you do strike gold like that, because you never know when it's going to be. And that is the story of my success again and again and again. 
you know, if it happened one time, I'd say, uh, okay, if it happened twice. I'm like, well, maybe that's a fluke. But if I look at my home runs in my career, which I'd say there's probably eight of them that I would call, you know, home runs in there with your triples, doubles, singles, strikeouts, and walks, um, little baseball metaphor for you there. Um, the, the times that I had the least amount of effort, but I was fueled by curiosity and passion and risk-taking uh, was the times I had the greatest amount of success. And that's what my most recent book is called The Fun Formula, and it reverse engineers this, um, this pattern that I've been able to not only uh, discover in myself, but in my peers as well. And that it's the anti-hustle and grind book, because I think the, the hustle and grind is a load of BS. I'm not saying there's not times in your life and your career where you got to buckle down and get the work done. You do. And I'm not referencing, you know, a single mom that has, you know, kids and has to work three jobs, you know, to put food in there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you see, you know, young men being pitched, the, the fancy car and the big house and the lifestyle and all the money. That is not ultimately satisfying. I've been there. I've had that. And um, real satisfaction comes from uh, the people in your life and the experiences that you have. And that's going to come about when you're doing what you love. Yeah, true. Now, you mentioned you had a few podcasts that fall, fell flat. Um, what was the, the marker for you or the signs for you that it was like, okay, it's no longer time to do this podcast. Uh, we're going to try something new. Um, one, more often than not, I stop doing a podcast just because I'm bored doing it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not so much, um, oh, nobody's listening. I mean, certainly that can play a role, but, uh, for example, I did the first iteration of the Joel, well, I did Joel come live for a couple of years. I was one of the ones that was pioneering live video streaming back in 2008 when Ustream.tv was really the easiest way to stream to the internet. And every Wednesday at noon from my office, myself and my, uh, my VP of ideas and friend Dan Nickerson, we'd get on live. And uh, my, uh, my technical guy was able to figure out how to bring people in on Skype and use Camtasia to make lower thirds and do split screens before any of this technology was available. We were like cracking the code on how do we make this work? And, and I engaged with my audience. And, and then things changed in the office. I'm like, you know, I'm done doing the live show. That was, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. Um, and then I did a thing on web, Webmaster Radio. Do you remember them for, for a time? And, um, and it was an interview show. And I got tired of doing your standard businessy interviews. And, and about, a, I don't know, 2011, 12, I started a different type of Joel Com show where it was just me talking about life, business, reviews. Did that for about a year and a half. And I'm like, this is a lot of work. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of doing this. At that show, actually, I'm reviving right now, but I'm reviving in a different format. So I'm using the existing iTunes channel um, and feed for the Joel Com show, but I, I really like what Rogan has done with having these regular conversations with people, you know, that aren't necessarily business focused. Because I just right. I get I've talked about business for so many years. It's like just go build something, right? Have fun. <laughs> um, I want to talk about things that are more important to me, and so I'm reviving the show and going to be talking to interesting people about life, the universe and everything, you know, whatever it is, more casual conversations and, and less interviewee. 
Um, and that's in the midst of doing bad crypto and who knows what other little experiments, you know, I'll play with this year. The, yeah. There's so much opportunity and the world is your oyster. It is. It, it, it so is. Um, but I don't like uh, oysters, so I don't know why I use that reference. The world is your playground, maybe. There you go. Like well, you know, that's not that's a pretty good reference because I'm 55, but I, I position myself as an eternal 12 year old. You know, uh, it's I kind of feel like I'm a kid with a pail and a shovel looking for a sandbox to play in, to try things like, oh, that looks cool. Let's let's play with that. Let's see what happens if I make this kind of video or if I go to this conference that I never would have thought of going to a few years ago. I'm like, oh, there's a toy fair in uh, New York at the Javits Center every year. I'm going to apply for a media pass and go to the excuse me to the toy fair. And I brought um, um, uh, a director with a camera. I'm like, let's just film this experience. Let's make a video of it. And it was a blast. And, and nothing else came of it, but I had an experience that I never had before. And you never know when you put yourself out there what's going to happen as a result. What are some, some conferences you've been to that you recommend recently other than the Toy Fair? Uh, well, I've been going to a lot of crypto and blockchain conferences. So, you know, if somebody's interested in that, they're always happening. And if you listen to Bad Crypto Podcast, we'll tell you where we're going to be. Um, other than that, there's one social media conference that I go to every year, uh, the social media marketing world that takes place in San Diego. Uh, this one, I think, is March 1st, 2nd. And it is, for me, the definitive social media marketing event and, and all my buddies in the social space go to that. Usually I speak at it. Um, this year, I think I'm just hosting a workshop room, which means I'll actually get to go and play and, and uh, not work um, this time around, but I wouldn't miss it because all my, you know, my friends go there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay. Let's, uh, well, I wanted to talk to you more on the topic of futurism and, and, and not predicting the future, but uh, getting insight on the future. What are some suggestions, Joel, um, for the listeners out there on, on keeping their eyes on the future to make sure they position themselves in the right way or the best way. So they're, they're not hit. And I ask you this because in, in 08, I had, um, uh, I was part of a network marketing company in the real estate world and uh, I, that company and, and I, and my business in that company got nailed with a recession. Um, but I was young. I didn't, I couldn't, you know, I didn't see the indicators. I didn't know what was going on. I was just enjoying the ride, you know? So, um, maybe some suggestions for listeners out there. It doesn't have to be necessarily around the economy, but it could. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, there's a reason I'm in the crypto world. I find Bitcoin and blockchain absolutely fascinating. And to me, it's a game changer. Um, once I finally understood what Bitcoin mining was, because I remember I heard about Bitcoin from up here, probably 2013, 14, you know, I was hearing this Bitcoin, Bitcoin, what is this thing? And I did something really unusual for me. Usually when I hear about something, um, I'll dig in a little bit and go, what is this? And I'll, I'll seek to understand it. And there was something about Bitcoin mining that didn't make sense to me. And so I didn't go down that rabbit hole. And it was in early 2017 when I finally started asking questions for whatever reason, it was time, right? And once I understood it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is revolutionary. This and how it is going to disrupt the world and virtually every vertical feels to me like it felt when I built my first website. That's the impact we're talking about. It feels to me like it felt when I, I bought my first iPhone. 
I'm like, this is going to change everything. And so, um, you know, if you don't understand it, seek to, because it is going to impact you. The day is coming where you won't be using your, uh, your paper money anymore. You will be using cryptocurrency for payments. You'll be using blockchain for transactions, for contracts. Uh, it's, it's, it is basically a super sexy method of uh, database that is far more efficient and effective and faster and more cost effective than any of the archaic ways we have now. Uh, and so now that I've gone down that rabbit hole, I've discovered that not only does it go deep, but the deeper you go, the wider it gets. And uh, there's going to be a lot of companies that um, wake up one morning and find out they've been Netflixed. They're blockbuster and they've been Netflixed, right? Uh, because really Netflix took Blockbuster by surprise. They're going to wake up and be like Nokia that did not see the iPhone coming. They were once the number one, you know, phone retailer and Apple came in and knocked them on their can. They're going to be like uh, a retailer that got Amazon, right? So whether you're in, you know, medicine or insurance, um, you know, or entertainment or banking or whatever, blockchain is going to impact your industry. And, and if you want to keep an eye on what's going on now, you'll still be ahead of the curve because most people are going to be taken um, by surprise when this thing really does take off. I just finished the book, uh, Bitcoin Billionaires. Have you read that uh, one yet? Ben Mesrick. Yeah, we've actually had him on the show. A great Have you? Guy. Yep, yeah, great interview. is probably about six months ago. You can just go to badcryptopodcast.com and type his name in and you'll find that episode. I want to listen to that one. That was for, a, for uh, people who don't know, he's uh yeah. he was the guy who wrote the social network, which was uh the the um accidental the, billionaires, I think, or something. It was a movie about Facebook, yeah. A book that became the movie The Social Network. And what's really interesting about um Bitcoin billionaires is a lot of it is again about the Winklevi, right? Cameron and Tyler. And after learning more about them and interviewing them, um, he, his portrayal of them in the social network would totally be different if he can go back and do it now. He doesn't see them the way he saw them when he wrote that book. Um, totally changed. Much more respect for uh, for who they are their intelligence their insight um brilliant guys we're actually still trying to get either of them on the show and have so far been unsuccessful i i've been reaching out to them too as well and saying they said the same thing we're not doing podcasts yeah like fair but uh yeah they would be great guests and for the listeners the winkle voss twins were the bad guys in the movie the social network the the ones that supposedly were trying to screw mark zuckerberg zuckerberg is the bad guy yeah, now it seems like he is, right? He, he like, is. He's always been the bad guy. He's still a bad guy. Uh, Facebook is evil. Uh, there's way too much concentrated power in the uh, the hands of, of this individual who is abusing that power. And um, I hope that blockchain and decentralized social media solutions will change that. Yeah. And, and we can dig more into that because uh, even in Bitcoin, or have you seen the, the Netflix documentary, The Great Hack? Uh, with Brittany Kaiser. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we, she's a friend and we're, we're hoping to have her on the show soon. <laughs> um, amazing young woman. I actually reached out to her to have her on the show too, but I, I got radio silence. Um, um, so in The Great Hack, they talk about how um, Facebook worked with uh, the Trump Cambridge campaign. Analytica. 
Cambridge Analytical and the Trump campaign, mm-hmm. uh, but then later denied it to to um, you know use social media ads to influence well, well, voters. Well, they were the Trump campaign. They were giving similar data to the Obama campaign before. Yeah, that some people didn't like that it was Trump this time. Um, and once they found out, but really they were doing, they were selling to anybody they could, wherever there was money. That's what they were all about. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and then in the book, the Bitcoin billionaires, they talk about how, um, Facebook was the, the rebel, they were the rebels at first, but now they're the institution, right? I think they turned, but that's like Apple too, right? I mean, it's like Google, Google once upon a time, part of their mantra was don't be evil. Right. They have actually removed that. <laughs> they have changed it. It's no longer in their uh, whatever you call the the document that's their mission statement. Now it says something like do the right thing. Well, <laughs> that is very subjective. Very and subjective. They're not doing the right thing. They're not doing right by their users. None of these uh, the centralized Silicon Valley companies are doing the right thing. They they're only trying to do the right thing by two groups of people. One, their shareholders to some degree, and two, to their own interests, right? And that's, that's it. We are the product. If you're not paying for the service um, or getting paid by the service, you are the product. We are the cattle that are on Google. We are the sheep on Facebook, creating content for Instagram for free, tweeting, it no benefit to us other than the platform, um, right. which I've stopped using Google as a search engine. Uh, there's no reason to. I use DuckDuckGo.com. It is a privacy-centered search engine that does not track you. So you have a nice. choice. You can go to Google and say, yep, learn everything about me and then sell me to the highest bidder or go to DuckDuckGo and nobody's tracking you and you get very similar results. I always find what I'm looking for. And I've stopped using the Chrome browser. That's, That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, what do you use? Use Chrome. Use Brave. The Brave, Brave browser now has over 11 million people, which in the big scheme of things is nothing, but they've developed a privacy browser that blocks wow. advertisements and that um, that you'll see ads only when you choose to. And if you do, you get compensated in their native cryptocurrency, the basic attention token, BAT. Mm. And so I'm actually earning while I'm surfing the web and I have complete control of my data. Wow. Nobody's spying on me and I've got, it's on my mobile phone too. And they're all synced up. There's no reason to use Chrome. None. So that's brave. B R A V E. Yep. Go to brave.com. And then duck, duck, go. Duck.go.com is the search engine that I use. And now I I would like to de-googleify the rest of my life. Problem is, is their products are so damn good. Um, And so, you know, we've got, Gmail and it's integrated with your calendar, your Google calendar, and it's integrated with your Google Docs. So they try to lock you in this environment. So I am presently evaluating what other um, suites are available that value my privacy as a consumer. See, Google gives them away for free. Yeah. Right. So since you have them for free, it's not not free, gang. It's not free. They're using you for free. I would rather pay and own my data and not be sold to the highest bidder. Uh, and that's just the beginning. You know, the, there's, there's social networks that are springing up. For example, um, I post on Instagram still, but I post that same content on an app called Karma, karmaapp.io. And I earn karma tokens, cryptocurrency. 
for making my posts. And, you know, well, I might only make 50 cents or a buck, but that's more than Instagram pays me. And there's multiple sites like this that are springing up that are alternatives to the social networks that think you're stupid. So Karma can post on Instagram? No, no or Karma, it's, a separate it's its own app. Platform. Okay. It's own app. Got it. Yeah. Okay. How many users are on Karma the, nowadays? A few thousand probably. Okay. I'm being the futurist. I'm on the front lines of, of this stuff. Yeah. You know, the more people use it, more people tell their friends like, okay, I can do the same thing that I do on Instagram, only I could do it over here and I get paid for it. When was the last time Instagram paid you? When was the last time Twitter paid you? When was the last time Facebook or Reddit gave you anything? They, they're not going to. In fact, they're going to enforce their rules. They're going to censor you if they want to. If they don't like your speech, it's not a free speech zone. It's a publicly owned or privately owned company, right? Well, they may be public companies, but they're an independent company and they don't fall. It's not government speech is not something that's necessarily uh, upheld there. They can do whatever they want. And if you fall on the wrong side of the political spectrum that varies from what Silicon Valley says is the right thing, guess what? You can get deplatformed. You can get your account removed, taken down, all your content gone, all your work. I've seen it happen to friends on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, deplatformed. It's the new depersoning. It's Orwellian. It's 1984, which is why these companies, as you referenced, that once had these benevolent ideas to serve humanity, none of them are doing it anymore. Not Apple, not Amazon, not Facebook, not Google, not Twitter. Um, I think LinkedIn is one of the few that still, you know, has the the interests of all its users at heart. Um, not Pinterest. Do you think? Do you think LinkedIn will last? Uh, yeah, I think LinkedIn is doing fine as a as a business network. I have no qualms with them. But without becoming part of the institution, without having their. their but we'll in. see. So far, so good. Is there like a point, Joel? Like, can can any company? function in the long term like like wikipedia is a really good example um you know they have to ask for donations on a regular basis because they can't afford to keep going so is there is it possible can a platform like continue at the level where like facebook and twitter and 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 google are with truly having their users interests at heart without becoming Mm. part of the institution like it you know it may not be yeah I I, i don't think so well even wikipedia has failed on many levels wikipedia is basically run by these editors many of them that are basically basement dwellers sorry gang but this is their life and they become for lack of a better better metaphor wiki nazis and if they don't like what you're posting, they will take it down. If it doesn't match with their worldview or what their vision of alternate facts are, you can't get a page or your page gets edited and edited wrong, uh, which is why one of the founders of Wikipedia um, has shot off onto blockchain. It's called Everipedia. And the idea is here that there's accountability when you're creating stuff on, on blockchain and that you're rewarded for being factually accurate. Um, it's not about a mob mentality. It's about you get rewarded when you get it right. And unfortunately, you know, Wikipedia being the, when people cite Wikipedia because, you know, as a source for something, it's like going to Snopes. <laughs> Snopes is also, it, it is a one-sided organization and, and they've been bought and, uh, you know, bought out a long time ago for a political agenda. And if you think that everything on Snopes is accurate, 
Same thing with PolitiFact. They're not. They all have agendas, and they're driven by the agenda of the people who own and run them. So don't think just because you see something on the internet from an alleged reliable source that what you're seeing is actually true, because that is one of the biggest lies of our era. What are some more platforms, Joel, that people can use? So you mentioned um, DuckDuck. Go, Duck, Duck, right? Go for a search engine. For search engine. Brave you, for browser, also for available, browser. you know, Mac, Windows, or iOS or Android. Ditch Chrome. Just time to get away from it. Import all your bookmarks easily right. and delete it. You, you and, will not find Chrome on my phone. It's not there. Brave and, is taking the place of it. And what about like Google Drive is a good is the best thing Dropbox or um, I I prefer Dropbox to Drive uh, even there uh, you know I'm I'm not totally sure about them in the long term um, but I know that there are alternatives that I'm looking at another example is uh, YouTube YouTube is highly censorious right and if they don't like you not only can they deplatform you but worse they can demonetize you so your videos they can get thousands, millions of views, but if YouTube says, well, we don't want to run ads on yours, then you're not making any money for the content for that whole, all those subscribers you've built up. And just a few weeks ago, um, overnight, a bunch of cryptocurrency related videos got taken down and there was this huge uproar. Um, and then imagine. they came back and said, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't yeah. a mistake. Somebody pushed the button intentionally and uh -huh. then got caught right? Uh -huh. Because they didn't like whatever the messaging was. Well, meanwhile, there's alternatives. There's, so you can be, you can lose your account, your videos on YouTube in a flash, gone. Right. And right. you could try to appeal, but you can't get to a human being. They don't you care. Can't. They're too yeah. big. Um, yeah. So there's a service called library, L-B-R-Y, library.lbry.com. Uh, and it's a decentralized video storing storage service. And when you put your videos on it, they can't be taken down. There, nobody can take them down because they're decentralized. The, the videos aren't hosted in one central location. They're, all, they're hosted like uh, the internet is made up of, you know, millions of computers, nodes, you know, shooting data from one to the other. Library works like that. And they actually have a YouTube importer. So you can go to, to lbry.com, download the software for your, your Mac or your, um, your PC, and then follow the instructions to connect to your YouTube account in over a matter of days, sucks all your videos in the library. I did it with my channel. So the 670 of my videos got pulled from wow. YouTube on the library. If YouTube takes me down, I've got all of my content still, and it is censor proof. Nice. That's incredible. And one of the things that actually I've been having problems with YouTube is like if somebody claims a, a copyright and they'll immediately stop your monetization yep. and it doesn't Guilty even matter. Proven innocent. Yes. It doesn't even matter if there's a few seconds. Like it doesn't matter if you have an hour, two hours, six hours of content. If there's a few seconds where there's a question of the, if the copyright may be, um, you know, if you're using somebody's copyright for some music or something, they'll take it, they'll hold it. Right. And then you have to dispute it. And even if you have the licensing, they can dispute back and forth and they can just go for it for a long time until it gets either fixed or they drop the claim or something. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, there's an automated, um, system out there that are just that's going through YouTube channels and looking for similar types of sounds that could automatically pop up and just claim a copyright claim on somebody's channel. And then somebody that has a license, it doesn't, you know, it does it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not, 
It's not functional. No, it isn't. And uh, you got to wonder who they have moderating this stuff. But, but they're horrible companies to deal with from a support angle. Horrible. And there's no support. Yeah, all of them. They're no they're support. just they're it's and they and they don't care. No, they're too big. So yeah. big. They're making so much money that they don't care that they're not serving people. That to me is an evil company. Yeah. Well, let's talk about more about the future. Um, what are some more predictions that you have, Joel? Like, uh, what are some things, some rabbit holes that you're going down that are exciting for you? Um, I, well, I've been a fan of VR now since the first Oculus yes. Rift came out. Another Facebook-owned company, by the way. And uh, VR is super, super cool. Whether you use an Oculus or a HTC Vive, a Samsung Gear, if you haven't played with VR yet in your own living room, uh, you're missing out on some really unique experiences. I think the time is coming probably a little slower than we uh, than we thought it would be because the technology is still kind of cumbersome and a little pricey, that somebody's going to come up with a killer app. Um, applications sell hardware. Software sells hardware. So, you know, the reason that, um, you know, people buy Nintendos is because you need one to play Mario. Right, the new Mario game comes out. If you want to play it, you have to own a Nintendo. Well, there's going to be an experience that comes out on VR, and I don't know exactly, you know, what it's going to look like. That's going to be the killer app and experience. And in order to experience it, you're going to need to have some VR goggles, VR headset or glasses or whatever they are at the time. And and that's going to happen. And when it does, it's going to it's going to take off big. I don't know if it's going to be because you know through Oculus or HTC or which platform, but I'm keeping my eye on that. Um, augmented reality you know types of glasses are also you know on their on their way here and that's kind of you know what we see with the success of pokemon go and that whole sensation yeah. you know, they were like glasses but through our phone we had access to this alternate world you know and capture these characters i think we're going to see more creative uses of of ar not just in gaming and entertainment but practical applications you know if yeah. you're an interior designer to be able to walk into an empty room and visualize through your device your goggles what it looks like fully furnished um that's you know that's coming to be a surgeon and to be able to see um you know the surgery you're about to do and to do it in, mm, in yeah. ar first so you know exactly you know where the problem is and how you're going to fix it. I think that's powerful for saving lives. Uh, I think AI is, uh, it's here now. It's being used way more than most people understand, know, probably yeah. more than I understand. Um, you know, we're being watched, we're being tracked, and that's the downside to it. Um, but in a lot of ways, AI can help us get a lot of things done faster, more efficiently, more effectively. And so, you know, keeping all these technologies um, or amoral, right? They're not good or bad. It's right. what people do with them. And uh, unfortunately, we live in a world with people that uh, often don't have the best interests of others at heart. And so that means there's going to be some evil intent. Uh, Black Mirror, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the best sci-fi shows there on Netflix. And, uh, you know, not all the episodes are, are great, but um, I don't know if you've watched uh, the episode Nosedive, where it's, uh, it, it, I recommend everybody go watch. If you watch one episode of Black Mirror on Netflix, go watch Nosedive. I think it's season two. Should be able to find it easily enough. And the story is the era that people are living in, not too far in the future, could be this year actually, is every encounter you have with another human being, you rate it 
on your social app. So people <laughs> are rated up and down based on oh my gosh, class yeah. and experiences. Yeah. Um, and it would be fantastical were it not for the fact that China has instituted a social credit system. And based on engagements you have with others and with uh, government officials and the like, and your behavior in public, you can lose social status. And if you fall below a certain point, you can't board an airline in China. (laughs) Really? And and there's people that want to bring that same type of social scoring here to the Western world. Go watch Nosedive, be entertained by it. And at the same time, be horribly frightened and do everything you can to not let that become a reality. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that maybe, well, it depends. I was thinking about paying taxes, but you know, there that's well you already have a credit score yeah exactly which is similar yeah you have a credit score your permanent record is following you and everything you post on social um if if you are a threat to a government they're watching they have a record on you so there's already a certain degree of big brother you know happening um but these tech companies know more about us than than anybody they know more than the government knows about us Uh, You know, they tricked us into liking stuff (laughs) on Facebook and reacting. And, oh, my gosh, the data mining that is taking place knowing where we are. Because your phone is tracking you no matter what. Wherever you are, they know where you're going. They know where you've been. They're looking at your photos. They could be watching us right now, right through this little camera. They probably are, I'm sure. That's why I keep... This little sticky note here, and when I'm not on, I just toss that over my camera. Oh, yeah. And I don't want anybody watching me. Um, Your Amazon device, your Google Home device, Siri, they're all listening to you. Don't tell me they're not. That's a a load. We have enough examples of people, you know, um, having a private conversation with somebody and then being shown an ad online for something and saying, well, that's a coincidence. No, it's not. No. It's, it's not a coincidence. That is, that is by design. That is how the system is supposed to work. Yeah. And, and what's scary about it is like, um, you know, it happens so rapidly, like I'll, I'll Google search something. And then literally a few minutes later, uh, that same thing will pop up on my Instagram sponsored ads. And, and it's just so fast, but, um, it is, it is, but um, most people, and- don't care. Oh, no, most people that, you know, they have, they're doing their own lives, right? Well, and, and they see it as benefit, right? The whole notion is giving you what you want, but they don't understand the trade-off for privacy. Now, if you have your eyes wide open and you're doing it anyway, okay, at least you know, this is what's going on. But I would say the you know majority of people uh, don't know what's going on and don't care. And there will come a day where we'll look back and go, man, we should have cared. We <laughs> really should have paid attention to this. Why did we let this happen? Well, the, and the algorithms can predict your behavior and often influence it based on the ads that they're giving you and, and decisions that you're making, which is the, the part that's fair. You know, it's scary. It's like, oh, it's well, take, absolutely. You know, taking away free will. Yeah. There, there's, you know, this controversy around uh, Russia, you know, apparently manipulating our elections. What, what they did spending a couple hundred thousand dollars on Facebook ads. I know I have friends that in their business, they'll spend that much just to promote one product. That's nothing. 
manipulation, political election manipulation is happening by the big tech companies. They're, they are doing way more to influence our elections than a, a handful of Russians ever did. And if you don't know that, and if you believe otherwise, you're a fool because they are manipulating you with everything they're choosing to show you and everything they're not choosing to show you. Everything that's trending on Twitter is there for a reason. And they deliberately will leave things off that should be trending because they don't want the public to be influenced that way. Same thing with Facebook, same thing with the videos that YouTube will show you. It's all manipulated to meet their agenda and they want to influence you to do their bidding. <laughs> I know. So it's beware, like, world, beware. It, it, and it's all, it's all demonstrable. I mean, this is not conspiracy theory stuff. There is hard data and proof, and, and proof of all of this that goes on for days. Didn't know this conversation was going to go this way, did you? Hey, that's okay. That's that's why we set it up to to have good, fun conversations and see where they go. I was thinking though during our chat, you know, what would be cool is VR podcast. So I put on the goggles, you put on the goggles, we hop into a room, do a podcast together. Yeah, it would. In fact, there is um, there's an app on in VR called Alt Space VR. And uh, you're an avatar and you are in these virtual spaces and there's other people. Now, they don't look quite like us yet. You pick a cartoony type avatar, but you move through these spaces. And the closer I am to you in that space, the louder, you know, you hear me as though we're talking face to face. And if I go walk over, you know, 20 feet away, you'll hear me more like this because I'll be way off there. And people schedule events. There's a room that they have that's a stage. And if you're on stage speaking or doing a comedy bit or whatever, or doing a, an interview, a panel, then people are in this virtual audience watching and engaging with you. That's and great. So it, that's something that is very much, um, you know, a reality right now. What is that site or that it's app? It's uh, Alt Space VR. I think their site is altspacevr.com. You can go and pull it up and check it out. Do you have a VR unit? I don't go grab. So if people want to experience VR now, don't do the thing with your phone in a simple plastic headset. I mean, those are interesting, but go spend a few hundred bucks if you can and get the Oculus Quest. Don't get the Go. The Go is their budget one. Don't really, it's only 200 bucks. Get the Quest. It's $400. I think it's got the two handheld devices. It's wireless connects to your internet you have access to the app store in the device just like you do your app store on your phone or on your computer and there are some really really great experiences that you can have on there nice joel i think we're going to wrap up there my friend um this has been a really fun show before we wrap up are there any tips that you would like to give the listeners any suggestions, thoughts, final comments? In, in which arena? Uh, <laughs> don't believe you've big given, tech. You've given you've given a lot of good suggestions. Already. Um, look into uh, into blockchain and cryptocurrency. I think once you go down the rabbit hole, you'll enjoy it. And of course, invite you to listen to our show, the Bad Crypto Podcast. It's a good um, place to we, start. Uh, yeah. We are a combination of information and entertainment. So we try to make seemingly complex subject matter you know, easily accessible for regular idiots like us. And that's the goal of the show. And so there's bad dad jokes, you know, spontaneously breaking into <laughs> song and some really fascinating, smart guests. And of course, uh, you could find me, joelcom.com, anywhere on social, you'll find me at joelcom and would love to hear from people. 
Awesome. Jill, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Joel. My pleasure. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.